1 John chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 18, and we'll read down uh, through verse number 27. The Bible says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Notice here verse 20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide, abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. And that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Last week we talked about the spirit of Antichrist living in the last times. This Sunday we'll go back to the same text, and instead of looking at Antichrist, we'll talk about the Christian How the Christian Overcomes. The title of the message is this, Overcoming the Spirit of Antichrist. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the message this evening and to do our best to live uh, what we hear. Lord, help us to be bright lights in a dark world. Help us to be love to the world's hatred. Help us to be light to the world's darkness and help us to live truth in the world's error. And Lord, help us to be uh, exactly who you'd have us to be. Examples, Lord, of... Uh, what you intended when you wrote this book for us so many years ago. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last evening we uh, dissected this passage and understood it as being a description of how the world would be during the last times. And if you remember, we said that last times was not as much a description of a duration of time as it was a kind of time, a kind of time, a time when the world would be uh, very wicked, a time where the world would be uh, uh, very opposed to God. Satan would take the mask off, if you will, and would take the mask off uh, not only uh, or in, in many ways, one of which would be within the culture around us. And it doesn't take much looking today to see how that has happened. Uh, uh, let's get real about how awful our world is with Satan in charge. It is as though people aren't even trying anymore to be respectful toward Christians and the God of the Bible and those Christian values and morals that we try to hold on to. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you turn on uh, cable TV and watch even a show that is innocent in nature, the commercials are filled with sin. 
You turn on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu, 90% of what's on there, you can't, if you're a Christian, you cannot watch in good conscience because those shows on there are meant to oppose the God of the Bible, mock Christians who try to hold to that model. Sin is around us in every way. People are confused about what a man and what, what is a man and what is a woman. You can be fired today from a public university if you don't call someone by their supposed proper pronouns. There's no longer just two genders in the public university square. Uh, Now that's up for debate. And I saw an interview uh, where they asked a young lady on the campus of uh, 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 Berkeley University, California, Berkeley, I believe it was, how many genders there were. And she said, infinite, infinite. And they said, well, how do you get to that? How do you get to that? And she said, well, I don't think you should put parameters around things. And so that would make it infinite. And so if someone wants to be called, a man wants to be called a woman, you have to refer to her as a, pro, a female pronoun. If they're not sure, then it's they and there. You see how confusing this is? You see how dark the world is getting? Sexuality, which is supposed to be taboo and sacred, are used exclusively by our society. Now, I'll say here, I wish I did not have to preach against sexual sins as often as I do. I wish that I could live, I, I wish I could have been a preacher a hundred years ago or 200 years ago where those words were never ever used outside of a husband and wife conversation uh, uh, or maybe a dad having a conversation with his son uh, as a child approaches marriage, mother with a daughter, same scenario. But today uh, Satan has used that. Uh, he's weaponized that uh, and, and has used that to bring much hurt in the world. Today's music is sexualized. If you don't believe me, uh, I could not bring this list into the pulpit and read it in good conscience, but go look at the top 10 hits by decades, beginning from 1950s up to today. I could not read that list in that in the pulpit. It is too lewd and too crass and too sexualized to read. The top 10 hits by decades from 1950s to present. Uh, uh, not only is has our music been sexualized, dress fashions are sexualized. Today's speech is sexualized. Today's youth are sexualized. If you don't believe me, go try shopping for a nine-year-old girl at J.C. Penney or Boscov's and see what clothing is uh, they're trying to put on our daughters. They want our daughters to look like tramps. Why? They're trying to sexualize our youth. Chivalry? <laughs> Men do not know how to treat a woman anymore. They don't know. Uh, holding the door for a woman? Um, treating a woman with respect? And furthermore, women don't know how to let men treat them with class. How many men have ever tried to hold the door open for a woman only to have you, in, only to have her insult you because she's on the same level you are? How dare you hold the door for me? Now listen, I, I can open the door for my wife and that does not make her any less of a person than me. But chivalry is a thing. And God created men to protect women. And uh, there's no denying that anatomically the average man is bigger and stronger than the average woman. And God made it that way for a reason. 
When I'm walking my wife into the store, I stand, I put her between the parked cars and the road. Same thing with my children. Why? God has called me to be their protector. Uh, my wife follows me down a flight of stairs. She, uh, she, um, uh, I lead her up a flight of stairs. That way, if she trips and falls, she has me to lean on and she can shove me down the stairs and maintain her balance. Amen. Chivalry is dead in America, and we don't know, uh, men don't know how to treat women, and women don't know how to treat men. Furthermore, uh, more and more men are beginning to dress like women, and women have already been dressing like men for decades. And then there's language. And then there's language, talking about the debasing of a culture. As a culture, we used to speak with class and dignity. How many of you here have ever tried to read a document written by one of the founding fathers from the uh, late 1700s or early 1800s? If you're like me, you read a paragraph and your brain hurts. Right? Do you understand? That's how they spoke back then. Everyone spoke that way back then. There was uh, so much more substance to what they said. Uh, The English language was so much more pure. Uh, a part of the tearing down of our culture has been the dumbing down of our language. And now today our language is filled with slang and ebonics. Have you noticed that cursing is the norm? It used to be that at least when you were checking out at a gas station, the attendant wouldn't curse. Because they were taught that that was unprofessional. Boy, most gas stations, at any given time, you'll hear someone curse. And it goes that way at grocery stores and Walmart and Target. And, 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 and that is almost just, well, that's just how everyone talks. No, my friend, cursing is not supposed to be part of our language. It's not supposed to be part of our vocabulary. On top of it not being uh, uh, professional, it's also n- not godly. And then how many times a day does the average person take God's name in vain? Hundreds and thousands of times. Thousands? Oh, some people, some people, every other phrase out of their mouth is, oh my. You know how to finish it. We become desensitized to it. What am I getting at this evening by way of introduction? This world is filled with the spirit of Antichrist. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And Christians, what happens is we get used to it. It is anti-Christ. It opposes our Christ. Um, This spirit of Antichrist is not only found in what we say about Jesus Christ, but but also uh, in how we live because of Jesus Christ. Many folks will say the right things. They say the right things. Uh, Satan distracts the Christian from walking in God's light. Distracts the Christian from living in God's love. And distracts the Christian from holding to God's truth with many different shiny objects. Now, I don't think anyone in this room this evening would on purpose be an anti-Christ. I don't think anyone in this room would uh, would oppose Christ. If Jesus Christ were here in the flesh tonight, I don't think any of you would walk up to him and act in a way that would be disrespectful or unkind uh, or unpleasant. I think everyone here would uh, treat him with the utmost 
respect that he would deserve. We would all just be shocked. Listen, if Jesus Christ, it was announced that he was going to be here this evening, this room would be packed. In fact, we'd have to go rent out Madison Square Garden, New York, for all the people that would show up. And then, even then, uh, you wouldn't be able to get them all in. Not the greatest stadium in the world would be able to hold them. Why? Because people really do respect Christ. But what happens is we get into the flow of our week. We get into the flow of our relationships and we'll end up opposing Christ by the way we treat a brother or sister in the Lord. We end up opposing Christ uh, by what we watch on a TV screen or on a cell phone screen. And we're not opposing Christ directly, but we end up having a spirit of antichrist, even as a Christian, indirectly. What are some of the biggest things that get Christians? I would say toward the top of the list would have to be entertainment. If, let me just say this as a sort of a litmus test for you. If what's being done on the screen is sin, then you are probably sinning by watching it. If what's being done on that screen is sin, you have no right being entertained by it. I would say another one at the top of the list for Christians, this spirit of antichrist that indirectly gets Christians would be covetousness. Now, I hit this one a lot because I believe it is a major problem for most American Christians. I believe that this has been a major problem in my life for much of my Christian life. God has called you, He has called me, He has called us, not to be content in things, but to be content in Christ. He has called you to find your identity in who you are uh, uh, with Him, not by what you wear, what you drive, where you live, or who your friends are. Another one that bites Christian is wealth. There is nothing wrong with having money. But there is something wrong when money has you. We can see that the spirit of Antichrist, we can see it seeping into our lives. Yes, Jesus has saved you. But no, that doesn't mean that the spirit of Antichrist can't influence you. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 with me again. And every spirit that confesseth. Not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is in the world. Last week we looked at the three tensions that are found in 1 John. Light versus darkness. Love versus hatred. Truth versus error. The Christian is to find truth... And then live out that truth in every corner of their life. Furthermore, we are to avoid the error of Antichrist. So what are the signs of an Antichrist? Well, last week we looked at their departure in verse 19. They went out from us because they were not of us. We looked at their denial. Uh, uh, Antichrist, the face of it is to change the doctrine of the teaching of Jesus Christ. To turn him into anyone but God and to turn his work anything but a saving grace. Their denial. And then we looked at their deception. They go about looking to deceive any one that they can. We also looked at their destruction. Uh, last week, uh, let's look at how John instructs us to overcome the spirit of Antichrist. Point number one this evening, the anointed 
Christian, the anointed Christian. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2 and look down at verse number 20. The Bible says there, but ye have an unction. That word unction means anointing. Ye have an anointing or an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. An anointing. Look down at verse 27. Verse 27. But the, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, we all know what anointing is, right? In the Old Testament, they would take a cruise of oil and they would have a a future prophet or king get down on a knee and they would dump the oil over his head. And what did that signify? If a prophet was anointing you uh, and God had told him to anoint you, uh, that was a, a putting on of an endorsement from God that that is a prophet. That is going to be a king that's going to lead God's people. And several folks throughout the Old Testament were uh, anointed. Now, in the New Testament, how are we anointed? We're anointed when we're saved. The Holy One, like a pitcher of oil, is poured inside of us. Our, Our inside, our heart is anointed. That word anointing also means a washing. You may remember that David said that he needed a a fresh anointing. He said, I need fresh oil to be dumped over me. What was he saying? I need my spirit renewed. I need a new washing. In the New Testament, Jesus washed or anointed the feet of his disciples. He cleansed them. And so this anointing, this unction, 1 John chapter 2 talks about is the Holy Spirit washing us. No, not with oil, but rather Rather, we are washed with a Holy One. He has uh, been poured over you if you're saved. God has been poured over your mind. He's been poured over your will and your emotions for the purpose of helping you oppose the error of Antichrist and to be able to know what real truth is. Letter A, notice the purity of truth. The purity of truth. Now, if you have an outline and you're filling it out, there is supposed to be a letter C And it didn't make it on there. So you'll need to scribble that one in below. But letter A, the purity of truth. Look at verse John chapter 2 and look at verse number 21. The Bible says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Remember remember that uh, Jesus said in John chapter 14, 6, he said, I am the way... The truth, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, uh, is First John chapter 2, verse 21 saying that Christians are know-it-alls? Is that, look at it again. I've not written to you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. Is First John 2, 21 saying that Christians are to be a bunch of know-it-alls? No. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you so that when you 
hear something, you will know whether it is true or not based on the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit of God. First Peter chapter 2 verse 21 says this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So what is truth? Uh, the, the truth is uh, the word of God. Uh, this, by the way, the written word is the the, the tangible truth that we hold in our hands. The better you know your Bible, the better you'll know the truth. And the Spirit of God is your teacher. Who is truth? Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I know His purity. Why is it that Jesus never changes? Why, why does Jesus never change? There's no reason to change something that's perfect. He's perfect. Uh, no, I need to change. There's a lot I need to change. Uh, and I'm constantly reminded of that. Oh, I need to do this different, and I need to do this better, and I need to work on this part of my personality, and this part of my temperament is off. But Jesus doesn't change anything. His temperament is always the same. By the way, this list I'm about to read to you, I sure hope it's an encouragement to you. Aren't you glad his temperament is always the same? His integrity is always the same. His atonement is always the same. His deity is always the same. His hatred of sin is always the same. His compassion is always the same. Why? He is truth. He is perfect. He is pure. Not only who is truth, but what is truth. Jesus prayed to the Father in John seventeen seventeen. He said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Finish the verse with me. Thy word is truth. Not only who is truth, but what is truth. Truth is like a bar of spiritual soap that cleans us up. Now, I may not know everything about soap. I've never been in a chemical lab to see how it's made. Uh, I do know some soaps work better than others. But uh, one thing I do know, I know what soap is. I know what soap is. You know how I know what soap is? Because I have interacted with soap every day of my life in some way for 36 years. Well, I was a teenager once, so maybe not all 36 years. Um, I've interacted with soap most days for 36 years. I know, I know what soap is when I see it. If you hand me a bar of soap, I'm going to be able to say, this one's a bar of soap, and this is not a bar of soap. You, you get where I'm going here? Tangibly, what is truth for the Christian today? It is the Holy Bible. It is God's perfect word. God's word is pure. And here's how this works. The more I study it, the more I understand it, uh, the more I realize how pure is God's truth, the purity of truth. Let her be the promise of truth. Look down to verse number 25, 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life, even eternal life. What is, what is the end game for truth? It is the promise of eternal life. 
I am so glad that Jesus Christ sent His only Son to die on the cross. Truth hung on the cross. Truth was killed by my sin. And truth bought the gift of eternal life. And because truth uh, was willing to die on my part, if I will come to the truth and I will turn away from the error of my sin and the error of a false uh, belief system and I will turn to the proper belief system of truth who died for me, I get the promise of eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life, the promise of truth. Let her see, notice, the proving of truth. The proving of truth. Look back with me at 1 John chapter 2. And uh, if you would, turn your attention to verse number 26. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now, there are antichrists, right? And they're going to try to come along and lead you astray from truth. So what is the Christian's defense? Well, you have an anointing, the Holy One. And because of this, Christian, you have someone to help you prove truth. Look at verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. This is the Holy Spirit. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, the purity there, there's no lie there, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. Now this verse is not teaching that you don't need a pastor to teach the word of God. What this, what this verse is teaching is that you have... You have a quality control inside of you that if you hear something and you know the word of God and you are in touch with the Holy Spirit, he will either put a check mark by that is correct or that's incorrect. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit helps you to know when you're hearing something that's right or wrong? When I went to Bible college, the pastor that I had there, he, he was a talented preacher. He's in jail today. But he was a talented preacher. And he, he, I mean, he could, he could preach the paint off the walls. He really was a good preacher. The problem was he didn't use a lot of scripture when he preached. Now, a lot of what he said was right. And a lot of what he said was biblical. But he didn't back it up with scripture. And so as a 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, it took me five years to get through, 23-year-old man, I would sit there and I would listen with a skeptical ear. You know what I was doing? I was letting the Holy Spirit put a check mark by what he said, or say, no, what he is saying is not right. If it's not backed up with truth, if it's not backed up with the Word of God, if it's not backed up uh, uh, by uh, the Spirit living within us, telling us, hey, that is truth, then we need to back away. We need to back off. The proving of truth. We talked about the anointed Christian. Notice number two, the abiding Christian. The abiding Christian. Letter A, we must abide in his word. We must abide in his word. If you're going to be able to decipher truth from error, if you're going to be able to avoid the spirit of Antichrist, not only intellectually or in your mind, but also in your lifestyle and how you choose to live, then you must daily abide in God's word. Look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. 
Who is from the beginning? This is a phrase that keeps coming back over and over again in 1 John. Who is this is from the beginning? It's Jesus Christ. How did John 1, 1 uh, describe that which was from the beginning? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 14 uh, tells us that the Word was manifested and dwelt among us, uh, uh, took on flesh. And so this Word, this from the beginning has to abide in us. This is the living and the written Word. The written Word, truth. We must abide in His Word and His Word must abide in us. It's funny how this ties back into John 15. Look at the rest of the verse. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall Remain in you, ye shall, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Hey, if this is abiding in me and I'm abiding in it, there's no Antichrist that's going to be able to come rip me away uh, to some false cult or some false religion. If this is abiding in me and I am abiding in it, uh, the devil is not going to be able to pry me away to go live a covetous lifestyle or to go live a selfish lifestyle or to start missing church or to start missing my Bible reading or Satan in no way is going to be able to influence me because this is abiding in me and I am continuing to abide in it. Ron Hamilton wrote this song. It's entitled My Quiet Time. And this song had a profound impact on me as a little boy. Before I start each day, there is a special place. I love to go alone and seek my Savior's face. I find wisdom in His Word to instruct me in his will. And I hear his gentle voice say, My child, be still. My quiet time alone gives me power to obey. My quiet time alone with God each day. I talk with him in prayer. Every day he meets me there. My quiet time alone with God. It goes on. He's with me all the time, no matter where I go. Each moment of the day, he's always there, I know. But I need that special time when I bow before his throne just to read his word and talk with my Lord alone. If you know the chorus, sing it with me. My quiet time alone gives me power to obey. My quiet time alone with God each day. I talk to Him in prayer. Every day He meets me there. My quiet time alone with God. Christian, do you have that quiet time? Is there that time? You're not just reading. You're abiding. You know there's a difference. We can be reading the scriptures and our mind can be everywhere but the scriptures. We must abide in his word. Jesus must abide in us. D.L. Moody famously said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I cannot expect my marriage to last if I'm not willing to abide with my wife. Why do we think that we can please God and know God without abiding with God? Superficial, shallow relationships lead to a frail Christian walk. 
Christian, ask yourself this question. How healthy is your relationship with your Savior? Are you abiding in His Word? Letter B, we must abide in His wisdom. We must abide in His wisdom. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye uh, know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it. And that no lie is of the truth. These verses are very comforting. These verses, again, do not teach that we know everything. And that by being saved by default, we're a bunch of know-it-alls. No, these verses teach that we have a resource within us that any time we get into a situation in life and we don't know how to handle it, we can run to the Holy One who lives within us and He can give us truth to help us navigate that difficult situation. How many of you here have uh, some, uh, some situation in your life where you're baffled and you're confused and you're lost and you don't know how to handle it? Maybe you have a difficult landlord or a difficult neighbor, a difficult boss or a difficult brother or sister in the Lord and you don't know how to navigate that and you don't know what to do. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and struggling. Maybe your children are not behaving quite the way you want them to and, uh, uh, and you just don't know what to do. Christian, if you abide with the Lord, you abide in His wisdom and He Helps you. I remember being a little boy and sitting next to the smartest kid in class. That wasn't me. Amen. Some of you were that person, but I wasn't that person. And and I remember wanting to look over during a test and take an answer and put it on my paper. I don't think I ever did that. I hope I never did that. It's possible. I hope I didn't do that. But could you imagine if your teacher came to you and said, for the rest of the year, you get to sit by that kid and you can copy everything off his quizzes and tests on your quiz and test. Sign me up for that. I don't have to do any study sheets. I don't do any study. I just get to write down his answers. And when he makes a hundred, I get a hundred. I'm in. Yeah. I have that kid who just made a hundred on everything. I want to sit next to that kid. You know, you have that inside of you called the Holy spirit. And when you have a hard time and you don't know the answer, or you're confused on a verse or you're confused with something. You run to the Holy spirit who lives inside of you. And if you abide in him, he gives you his wisdom. We must abide in his work. Letter C, we must abide in his work. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Everyone that doeth righteousness. This, uh, see, Saturday the ladies had their paint day. And they had this big activity at the church. And so me and Matthew went home. We were home all by ourselves. And so what did we do? Well, I had ordered some things online. I got some license plate covers to go on my car. And I told Matthew, I said, I got some license plate covers. I'm excited for you to see those. He said, well, what are they? I said, you're just going to have to wait till I get home and open them up. And so I got a different one for the front of the vehicle than I did for the back of the vehicle. The one on the back of the vehicle says Baltimore Ravens. The one on the front of the vehicle says Baltimore Orioles. My two favorite sports teams. And so you'll be seeing those. Amen. And uh, please do not defraud my vehicle. Amen. Um, uh, but uh, you know what? Matthew was as excited about that as I was. You know why? Because he's my son and he's taken on my interests. As I walk with the Lord, I get excited about what he gets excited about. 
And you know what? I'm going to want to do what he does. And uh, the Lord is righteous and he's perfect. And as I abide in the Lord, I'm going to end up abiding in the work that he assigns me. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it with, with, uh, begrudgingly. I'm going to do it joyfully. I'm going to do it with a smile on my face. As I said a few weeks back ago, some people, uh, they, they do what's right because they have to. Others do what's right because they need to. Christians get to do what's right because they ought to want to. They ought to want to. And I hope there's a want to in you tonight to do the work of the Lord, to do the work of the Lord. How how is it that we're going to overcome the spirit of Antichrist? We looked at the anointed Christian, the abiding Christian. Lastly, number three, notice the ashamed Christian. Look back with me at 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse number 28. And And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence... And not be ashamed before him at his coming. Not be ashamed before him at his coming. I imagine a boss who sits down with an employee and says, I have a very important job for you to do. And I need you to get this done by the end of the day. If you do, this is going to bode very well for our company. The assignment is given to two different employees. One goes, and boy, he puts his whole heart and mind into it. He skips his lunch break, and he cuts his uh, breaks, rest of his breaks short by several minutes. And he, he's working, eating and working and working and pushing out all distractions. And he's really churning out the work. And the day comes where his boss walks back in the office, and he's happy. He's happy to see that boss. The project is finished. It has been done uh, thorough and correct. He hands the boss what the boss has asked for, and the company is better for it, and he is better for it. Why? Because when uh, pay raises come around the next time, he now is in line to get a raise. The other gentleman that was given work, boy, he he took a long lunch break. He slacked. He uh, was distracted. He had people around him all the time. He kept checking his phone uh, all day long, and he couldn't seem to ever get his priorities in order, and he got the project started. But as four o'clock loomed, and the boss, uh, the time for the boss to walk into the office, dread crept over his heart. My friend, four o'clock is coming, not in the form of four o'clock, but in the form of the rapture. You're going to stand before God, and you're either going to look at Him with confidence, you're going to look at Him with joy, or you're going to drop your head and be ashamed. So many Christians, so many Christians are not abiding in Christ. And they're not taking advantage of the fact that they've been anointed by the Holy One. They're walking through life. And they're not making best what God has given them. And one day they're going to stand in front of God. They're going to be ashamed. I don't want that to be me. And I, my friend, I sure don't want that to be you. I'll finish with this. There have been times over the last year where I've looked out over the crowd that shows up on Sunday evening and I've been discouraged. Pastor friends of mine are canceling their Sunday evening services all across the country. Because attendance on Sunday evening epidemically is beginning to slouch. 
I've watched the numbers here begin to decline ever so slightly. They're going up on Sunday morning and down on Sunday evening. I have thought, is it a waste of time to have a Sunday evening service? But I'm reminded, this scripture tells us, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Not so much the less. Not so much the less. We're going to keep having church on Sunday evening. That's not going to change. My question to you is this. Are you going to abide in Christ? Are you going to abide in His work? Discouragement is going to come. Discouragement is going to set in. But we must determine. We must decide. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Boy, there's going to be a day where we can rest in heaven. We lay our crowns back at His feet. We rejoice for all of eternity. Christian. Walk in the Word. Walk in the Word. Let it dwell in you, and you dwell in it. Lord, we pray tonight you take this simple, simple message, these simple truths. Help us, Lord, not to be impressed with the system of Antichrist, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Help us, Lord, to push away from it. Lord, when we face difficulties, help us to turn to the Holy One who lives within us for answers. Lord, I'm afraid too many Christians oftentimes run to a man, run to a counselor for answers when the answer is right inside of them, the Holy Spirit. May we run to you first. May we get counsel from you. Lord, may you lead us. Lord, help us to be people of the book, people of the word. May it dwell in us, and may we dwell in it. Lord, help our Christianity to be purified. Help us to do righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray.